0: in honor of the reading of God's word, uh, please stand with me. This is Psalm uh, 139 for the director of music of David, a psalm. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand upon me. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So if you are checking your watch and thinking, we have got places to be, that is a 24-verse psalm that you just read. Rest assured, we are not going to tackle 24 verses this morning. We're going to, as I said earlier... Uh, For those of you who may have have come in uh, more recently, we are only going to, uh, this morning we're going to look at verses 13 through 16. That will be our focus. But I felt like as we began this series that we're entitling Known. Uh, it, it felt like it was important for us to look at Psalm 139 in, in its entirety, this, this prayer uh, of David's that we, we have recorded for us. And, and, and as you uh, may recall, and we've, we've talked about this before, but for the people of God, uh, the Psalms, particularly, uh, you know, the New Testament people of God, that would be uh, Jesus and his followers, those who uh, were, were Hebrew or Jewish uh, by birth, uh, and, and even those who came after these, these Psalms were written. The Psalms, or the, the prayer book for God's people. It, it gave language to their, uh, their their prayers of lament. It gave language to the things that they were angry about. It gave language to the things that they were concerned over. It gave language to their celebrations and the times when they marched up to the temple together to worship. So if you, um, as as uh, an individual or thinking, I, you know, I'm, I, it's the start of a new year, like I'm looking for something uh, that might help me in my quiet time and help me in my prayer time. The Psalms are a great place to turn. Uh, and, and I would I would encourage you that over these next uh, several weeks, because we will be in Psalm 139 for five Sundays to maybe even daily to to read Psalm 139 and, and read it out loud. And I know that that seems like, you know, when we're used to following a, a reading plan, like to... You think well that 's not how you do a reading plan, like you, you read one chapter or you read these verses, and then you check that box in the in the reading plan, and then you go on the next day and read something else. but there is, there is um, something really powerful that happens uh, and, and that God is able to do when we slow down long enough to give God the space to speak and to move and and one of the ways that we can practice that discipline is in silence. Uh, one of the ways that we can practice that discipline is in um, solitude, that is spending time alone. Uh, and one of the ways that we can practice that is in um, taking some time in, in a portion of Scripture and just kind of parking ourselves there and, and reading, prayerfully reading words like these for these next five weeks to read. What if, what if um, you read Psalm 139 every day? Uh, you just heard me do it. It doesn't take us that long, but, but if you were to slow down and, and really spend some time with these words. Imagine what might have, the room that you're creating for God to speak to you in a, in a new way. And, and as you heard in my prayer from Hebrews 4, we read the author of Hebrews say, the living, the word of God is living and active. It is alive and active. Um, and, you know, to read the same passage of scripture over and over again, that that's when you begin to experience that. Because you might read it for this week and then Monday of next week, There's something that that you hear or that you experience that's brand new to you. So a couple of things um, about this psalm that will help us, I believe, uh, kind of step into it in in a way that's helpful. If you look at uh, verse 1 and verse 24, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. And then verse 24, see if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And, and then that, that is, uh, in, in Scripture, that is known as an inclusion or an inclusio, and that is that, that those are similar, similar sayings or similar uh, words at the beginning and at the end of a passage, and when that happens, we probably ought to pay attention to what is happening in the middle of that passage because the middle of that passage all, um, all supports and all undergirds that, that thing that, that has been established at the very beginning. And what is established at the beginning and at the end of this psalm um, are, is, is Very simple, and that is that there is a relational component to this prayer. There is a relational component to this prayer from David, from his heart, to the heart of God. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You have searched me. And you know me, and then again, if, see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That is, God, search my heart and, and reveal to me those things that aren't of you and lead me in, in a path in a way that is reflective of who you are. And a prayer like that doesn't happen outside of the context of relationship. This is not just some empty prayer that, that, uh, that David is praying here. This is a prayer that is, that is born from kind of the, the depths of his heart and the depths of who he is. And, and so it's important for us as we step into this, and, and hopefully as you spend some time in this psalm over the next several weeks, to hear in, in these words, words of relationship. Like to make these your words. Yes, they were. this is a prayer that David prayed generations ago, thousands of years ago. But what if these became your words? Uh, if these begin to mark your prayer life for the next several weeks? And, and we'll talk about this in the coming weeks, but I just want to Maybe try to establish this idea. Like, what, Consider what it means that you are known by God. Known by God. There is nothing about you that God does not know. In, in that same passage in uh, Hebrews chapter 4, uh, we read that, that everything in all of creation is laid bare before uh, the one to whom we must give account. Everything is laid bare before the eyes of God. So those things that we have become really good at hiding from other people, we're not hiding them from God. And, and while that can be a, a bit unnerving, because all of us have things that we're not proud of, all of us have things that we carry around, and we, we would just assume those things never see the light of day, uh, and, and because if, if that happens, then we're concerned about how people may feel about us, or, or we're concerned that maybe it changes people's perception of us, or we're seen as, as a failure, or we're seen as, as rotten, or, or, or whatever it may be. And and maybe some of the things that you have written or are writing on the the piece of paper that you have, maybe some of it is wrapped up in that. Like, this is a label, I feel like a failure, I feel guilt, I feel shame um, over this thing that I have in my life or this thing that I've done and I I don't really want anyone to find out about it. God already knows that thing about you. And it's not because God has, God, God doesn't know you because God has gotten to know you. God doesn't know you because God has learned things about you. Right, like we have people in our lives, people that you have relationship with, over time you've gotten to know that person, or you've gotten to know those people. You, 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 you know, if you, um, uh, if you're in a relationship with someone, I'll just use the example of of my relationship uh, with my wife. We've been married for uh, 20, what year is it now, 20, 20 21 years um, we've been married. And, and I, we know each other more deeply now than we did uh, when we met in '99, uh, and that should happen. The more that you spend time with somebody, you you get to know them. You learn things about them. I I know, and I'm kind of picking on. It. My wife's not here this morning. She's away uh, with with one of our our daughters who has a volleyball tournament this weekend. So, um, Piper, if you're tuning in, I'm just gonna say things about you, and you can't. Usually, she sits on the front row and like talks back to me. Um, or, or, you know, calls me on stuff I'm saying, but this morning you don't get the option of doing that. Um, so I've learned that she kind of lives life in a hurry, and and understandably so. Like, there, it's me, and we have five kids, and she, we are all alive because of her. Like, she, I mean, God ultimately is the sustainer of life, but she keeps us alive and, and well-fed and, and healthy. And we wouldn't, we'd be in a, de- like, I'm here with just three of our kids this weekend, and, and it's it's touch and go. I'm just going to say, like. So far, everyone has eaten, and we're, we're, doing, we're doing well. Uh, but I've learned that my wife, like, she sometimes is in too much of a hurry to close drawers and cabinets in our kitchen. And, like, when we first got married, I thought, and we were living in a rental house, I thought, I, I think our house might be haunted. Because I'm pretty sure that all of these things were closed when I left the room. And, and now I walk in and they're all, it's all wide open. Like there's a ghost in our house that's just opening things uh, behind us. And she, there are lots of things that she would say she has learned about me uh, if she were here. So you can ask her about that sometime. I didn't know those things when we were dating. I didn't know that she liked to leave. You know, she, Who has time to close a cabinet or a silverware drawer? No one has time for that. I, I didn't know that about her. Um, I would say she didn't know, but she learned pretty quickly that because I'm an eternal optimist, um, I always assume that we're going to be on time everywhere we go. Like, there's always time. We might need to leave the house in 10 minutes, and I'm like, there's probably time to mow the yard real quick. It's fine. We can get it done, and we'll be where we need to be. Uh, it's, It's a great source of frustration for her. But as we consider our relationship with God, regardless of where you feel like you might be in your relationship with God, like you might be here this morning and think, you know, I don't know about... This whole Christianity thing. I don't know about this being a part of a church. I, I'm just here because I, I got dragged here, or I'm here because maybe I, you've come back for the first time in a long time, and that's okay. That's part of the beauty of the fabric that makes up the family of God. We can all be in different places on this journey, and God is as is, is present with each of us. I mean, he's equally present with all of us, loves you where you are, wants to walk with you where you are, and is always inviting all of us to take that next step. But for all of us, regardless of where you feel like you are in your relationship with God, God didn't need to get to know you. God has known you intimately from the beginning. God knows where you are now, and God sees every day that is ahead of you. And and while kind of surface level, that might be a little bit unnerving, it is a psalm like this. It is words like found in these 24 verses that ought to give us great comfort. It is words like, like Sarah um, spoke over us before we, um, before we sang. She spoke words that are found, uh, reminding me of Philippians six. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Or words like we find in Paul's letter to the church in Rome. From Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And it's at the end of that chapter that we feel these incredibly hopeful words. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. Anything else. That is whatever you might insert in that blank. That is whatever you might have written on that piece of paper that you feel like is, is the thing that is keeping uh, God from loving you the way that you see God loving the people around you. Anything else in all creation, that no matter what you might put into that blank, no matter what you might lift up and say, yeah, but what about this? Anything else in all of creation, I'm convinced that, that nothing in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. There is nothing that you can do. There's nothing that you have done. There's nothing that you think about. There's nothing that you are considering doing. There's nothing that's been done to you. Hear that. There's nothing that you have been on the receiving end of that is not your fault, that is because of someone else. There's nothing that has happened in your life that can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? God knows you intimately. God didn't have to learn about you. God didn't have to get to know you. God knows you. God knows your frustration. God knows your fear. God knows your failures. God knows your hopes. God knows your dreams. All of it. And in the middle of this psalm, in the middle of this prayer, we find these words that I believe, it's and, and it's really why as, as a, Pastoral and as as our our staff as we were preparing and praying months ago and, and felt like God was leading us to really spend some time in this psalm, we felt like the place for us to begin is in that place of identity, like understanding who we are as God's children. Because we can hear that truth that, that, that Paul wrote to the church in Rome that I just read from the end of Romans chapter 8. We can, we can hear that. And, and while we're here in this moment, in this space, and have the opportunity to surrender our labels and have the opportunity to take on some truth about who we are to God and have the opportunity to lift our voices together in worship, it, all, we, it feels like, okay, I can do this. Like I can live into this here. But the moment that we walk out of that door, we have a world that is waiting for us. And particularly, we have an enemy who is seeking to convince you of things about yourself that are not true. Seeking to convince you about um, things about who God is and who God is to you, more importantly, that are not true. We, we read in, in Jesus talking about um, the enemy, talking about the devil, uh, and, and that 's not something we talk about a lot in church but 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 we know that there, is, there are forces of evil at work in this world, and that is the reality of the world that we live in and and it 's a result of the brokenness that is in the world but take heart uh, at the things the way that things are now is not the way that they will be that that we are on this trajectory to toward a day when Jesus will return and make everything right. But right now we're kind of living in, in that tension, the tension of this kingdom that has come and is coming and the reality of this brokenness. We talked about this last week. The beauty and the brokenness and the way that these two things kind of reside in the same space at the same time. And so we, we have this enemy, as Jesus says, who is the father of lies. His native tongue is is Lying. And so to begin in this place where we hear from the heart of David, and, and remember David's journey and David's trajectory, there, there were some things in David's life that were not pretty. And it's because David got off track. He forgot who he was. He was operating out of a, a place of, of, of being a king in the worldly sense. Like, I can do what I want because I am king. I, I have the authority to act in a way that is pleasing to me and to act in a way that benefits me and and we are We are still all of us We, we, we kind of suffer under that that temptation and, and that illusion and, and the place if you go back to the very beginning in in Genesis. And, and we, you know, we read in the temptation story that one of the things that Adam and Eve were, were told in Genesis 3, one of the things that they, that they heard from the enemy is that if you eat this, you will be like God. Yes, he tempted them with like this fruit that is probably going to taste amazing, and, and it, look how pleasing it is to the eye, and we're still tempted by things like that. But, but you will be like God, so tempted them at the place of their identity. God had given them everything that they needed for, for flourishment and thriving. And, and they, were, they were invited to live in that goodness and that freedom. And they were tempted with this, like, you're lacking something. You could be more than you are. And that's the temptation that all of us, kind of at base level, we're still suffering under that temptation. So it's interesting, if you do if you were to and i did this so i know this if you go to <clears throat> amazon and and just type in the search bar psalm 139 90% of what comes up are these like a coffee mug with you are fearfully and wonderfully made on it or a beautiful you know print with you are fearfully and wonderfully made on it or some piece of artwork or some uh, embroidery or something for your home that, that you can hang in your house to remind you that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And and there are some, some books kind of thrown in there and, and there's some that are it's just a journal with you are fearfully and wonderfully made on the cover and then just, you know, journal paper inside of it. Which I think says a lot to us about the way that we have a tendency to read a psalm like this or to read scripture in general, we take it and place ourselves in the center of it. And yet, as we will find over the next several weeks, what, what is happening in this psalm and what, what is at the heart of this prayer of David is he is just in awe of the vastness and, and the power and the goodness of God. Also in, the, in awe of the fact that this God of creation, this God who is all powerful, this God who is all knowing, is also a God who knows him intimately. The God who created him, who formed him in his mother's womb, who knows his intricacies, who knows his ins and outs, that the God of creation knows him intimately. And so David finds himself in this place of awe before God. And we have this this tendency to hear these words as like a pep talk to us. And, and they should be words of encouragement to you. Like I'm not saying, you know, walk out of here thinking, well, that's not for me. No, that these words are meant to be words of encouragement for you. But when we begin to place ourselves at the center of what is happening in Scripture, we miss the point of the arc of Scripture. And that is to elevate the goodness and the faithfulness and the love and the mercy of God. So that we might realize it's not about us, it's about God. God. It's about who God is, it's about what God has done, it's about what God is doing, it's about the fact that even in our rebellion, God has pursued us and continues to pursue us because he longs for us to know the fullness of life that is possible in him through Jesus Christ. So I, I was, um, in preparing uh, this week, came across a, a video by um, Jen Wilkin, and she's um, she she speaks at uh, conferences and and just has a deep beautiful knowledge of of scripture and she was talking about a, a women's conference that she went to and I'm not picking on women because. Men, men, you show up in this story too. But she was, she was talking about, you know, this conference and what God had laid on her heart. And she was doing a breakout session. And so she went to, to hear, like, the three main, you know, kind of speakers. Because she said, I just want to make sure I'm on, you know, in line with a theme. Like, there's not anything I need to change about my talk and what I'm doing for my breakout session. And she said, I'm not lying to you. Every, like, the three that I went to, every single one of these women, guess what they spoke on? Psalm 139. You are, particularly verses 13 through 16. I praise you for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And she, and, and she was, to the point that I was just making, she said we have this tendency to take this passage and to hear it as a pep talk. Like we're we're two weeks into January now, and if you started January thinking, you know, this is it. This is the year that I get fit. This is the year that I, that I shed some, maybe some unwanted weight that I really begin to take care of myself. And, and, and now, you know, it's, we're two weeks in, and you're like, oh, my gosh. Can I get a redo? Can we go back to January 1? Because I feel like I've, I've already fallen short. I've already failed. She said this would be like the way that this was being presented at this conference. These women are saying, no, you just step in front of the mirror and all the wrinkles and all the gray and the excess weight and just, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And, and she said that there was this one woman who was like, I want everybody here, and, and that, that just makes you nervous, right? Like when somebody says, I want everybody here to, you know, all of you do this, I want everybody here. Women, you just, forgive me, This, these are her words just place your hands on your uterus and just proclaim blessing over it. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And and she said she's looking around this room and thinking like most of the women in here are of the age where that they probably don't have that anymore and so I don't know what this lady's doing and she's like if if that's what's happening in the women's session like what are the men being asked to What are they doing? we have to be careful not to read ourselves into the center of the story. To hear these words. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And that, the word that is used there for knit is, is a word, that, that Hebrew word in other places in Scripture. Take Exodus, for example, where God is giving instruction to the, the tabernacle and, and the, the making of the tabernacle and the garments that the priests will wear. It's the word that is used for embroidery, for the fine, delicate, intimate work that is done to craft this thing. And, and that's what David has come to understand. And, and what is incredible about this is that David is not, David's not a, a biologist. David, like there are things that we know now about the human body and, and anatomy and how it works that David had no idea of. And yet there was something about the, the magnificence of, of just the human form and the way that it operates that caused David to stop and say, God, you this is beyond me. God, you, you knit me together. That, that for all of the control and the power that we want to have in our lives, we did not create ourselves. And yet we spend so much of our lives trying to create an identity for ourselves that is found somewhere other than in the one who created us and breathes life into us and calls us his own through Jesus. So David, even in his lack of knowledge, is is moved and astounded by what what he sees. Charles Spurgeon says it this way. He says, The psalmist had scarcely peered within the veil which hides the nerves, the sinews, and blood vessels from common inspection. The science of anatomy was quite unknown to him, and yet he had seen enough to arouse his admiration of the work and his reverence of the worker. To know that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, that even, and and this this saying that David says here, my frame was not hidden from you, verse 15, when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, and that makes it sound to our ears like we're all a bunch of cabbage patch dolls that just spring up from the ground, that's not what, uh, there's like 10 of you who are old enough to know what a cabbage patch doll is. I realize, I'm sorry for those of you who don't. but that, that's not what David is saying here. He's saying, like, even, even in the places where we can't see, God is at work. And in particular, here, he's talking about the, like the way that a that human is formed. Like, we don't see that happening. We see the result of it, we see the fruit of it, we don't see it happening. And yet, even when we can't see where God is at work, God is working. And the knowledge of this for David, it just results in this, in this awe before the Lord. It results in wonder and praise. And so, yes, it ought to be an encouragement to us. Because the next, I, I think if we're thinking about this logically, the next question for us is, okay, what, what, wait a second. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. What about this thing in my life? What about this infirmity? What about this affliction that maybe I've had since birth? What about people who who are born and from birth they they struggle with being able to walk? What about those things? Is that person fearfully and wonderfully made? That's a great question to ask. And those are the things that we ought to be able to wrestle with in Scripture. And in in response to that, I'd like to just offer up that it it has nothing to do with your physical appearance. I mean, the fact that for all of us who are sitting in this room, unless you have a twin in here, none of us look exactly the same. Yes, physical appearance, and yes, the fact that we all look different from one another, it, it is a representation of the vastness and the creative power of God. But but I believe that what David is speaking of here is not so much the way that he looks physically. He's not standing in front of a mirror saying, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Look at me. I am magnificent. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. There are times when, when we see that David does not feel so wonderful before the Lord. Psalm 51 is a great example. He is He is a broken man who's, whose shame and sin has been exposed and he has to deal with it before the Lord. He he doesn't feel so wonderful in that moment. When we read in the creation story, God creates everything and calls it good. And then God says, let us create man in our image. That's humanity. Let us create humanity in our image, in our likeness. Let us create the male and female." So significant that that language is used there, let us. And, and it gives us this idea that God existed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit from the very beginning. Before we were even aware of, of who God is. God has existed in the fullness of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In, in the fullness of, of relationship. In the fullness of that self-giving love. So for God to say, let us create man in our image, let us create the male and female, is for God to to pour the fullness of who God is, the relationship of who God is into humanity, to be a reflection of the fullness of of that God that exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So it's not about your, your physical appearance, but it's about who and what you are growing to reflect in this world. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made, even in my what I what the world might look at and say that's a defect or even in an infirmity to be able to say I am fearfully and wonderfully made. We read that in the hands of God that there's is, God is always at work for your good and for his glory. That means God can even take our infirmity. God can even take those the the ways that we walk with a limp, so to speak, whether it's figuratively or literally. God is able to take everything that we are and and God is able to use that for our good so that we might come to to be more dependent on God, so that we might come to step more fully into relationship and trust of this God who created us and gave us life, but also that we might grow to become a a more accurate and faithful reflection of who God is in this self-giving love through which we were given life. It means that we are able to take those things that we feel like are less than and to hold them up to the Lord and trust that even in the face of those things as Paul writes in Philippians 1 that we can be confident that God who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ that that thing that you feel like it disqualifies you from being loved by God it disqualifies you from fellowship with God or with others that God is able to take that and say nope not a disqualification. In fact, in my hands, I can use that to grow you. I can use that to draw you closer to myself and I can use that um, to, to allow you to be a more faithful representation of me, not because of how you look, but because of how you respond in faith to the one who has given you life, to the one who knows all of your ins and outs, all of your fears, all of the things that you wrestle with, all of the things that you carry. God knows all of them. I want to close with this thought. We invite our worship team to come back up and to prepare a space for us to be able to respond. If you're familiar with the New Testament, with the story of the early church, there are some folks that kind of stand out as as being, I mean, they. Like this person or these people were a significant part of, of the church coming into existence and then the, the gospel and the good news spreading beyond Jerusalem to the world around it. And Paul is one of those people that we tend to lift up. We tend to look at Paul as being just kind of a giant of the faith. and Yeah, in Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth, we read these words. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, verse 7. Paul says, In order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh. There was something in Paul's life that was an affliction to him. We don't, we don't know what it is. There are all kinds of theories and ideas, but I think if Paul was concerned about the church in Corinth, knowing he would have just written this is the thing, but he didn't but there's something that that afflicted that bothered Paul whether it was physical whether it was spiritual emotional whatever there's something that Paul carried I was given a thorn in my flesh he goes on to say a messenger of Satan to torment me like something that just he was beat up by and he says three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me man is that familiar to any of us God, just take this thing away from me. I don't want to struggle with this sin anymore. I don't want to have this fear anymore. I don't want to feel this way about myself anymore. I don't want to feel this way about another person anymore. God, just take this thing away. Paul says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that, in Christ's power, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and in insults and in hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So whatever it is that you feel like you're carrying, whatever label, we all have this, this deep longing to, to be known to matter. Friends, you are known by God, the only one who does matter ultimately. And God, as we read in the beginning of the, the letter to the church in Ephesus, God decided in his heart before the beginning of time that he wanted to make it possible for you to be as adopted as his sons and daughters, to know that you are a child of God, to know that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, that God's intricate creative power is at work in your life. And he's not done with you. He's not gonna leave you right where you are, that that power continues to be at work to make you a more faithful reflection of his son, Jesus. And sometimes we walk with the limp. Sometimes we carry things around in us that we're like, gosh, I wish I wasn't made in this way. And as a result, we take on labels. We take on these things that the world places on us. I wanna invite you this morning as our worship team um, plays for, for just a moment before we, um, as we were going into our final song. Whatever it is that you've written down, you're invited to come in a posture of prayer. Don't rush up here, you have time. But as God leads you, you're invited to come to one of these two tables and to, to place in this basket, you know what, here's the label, I am tired of carrying, I've been carrying it for too long. To place in the basket that label that you have placed on yourself or that the world has placed on you and instead to pick up a new name. Some of them say child of God. Some of them simply say loved. But whatever speaks to you where you are, to grab that name tag and to place that on you, to hear those words spoken over you, to know that your identity and the fullness of who you are is meant to be found in the goodness and the love of God. Let me pray for us.